Hello, and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin's online worship service, where we gather virtually and in spirit each week during this time where we're still not gathering together in person. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development at First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, and I welcome each of you to our service. If you're new to the church, I especially want to welcome you. If you have the ability, please go into the comments and let us know from where you're watching the service and say hello. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. Let's connect those divine sparks now, either by greeting each other in the comments or just sensing the heartstring connections that bind those divine sparks together. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship today comes to us from Dr. Brene Brown. Brene is a research professor at the University of Houston. She spent the last two decades studying courage, vulnerability, shame and empathy and is the author of five number one new york times bestsellers she writes no vulnerability no empathy in a culture where people are afraid to be vulnerable you can't have empathy if you share something with me that's difficult in order for me to be truly empathetic I have to step into what you're feeling, and that is vulnerable. So there can be no empathy without vulnerability. You can't access empathy if you're not willing to be vulnerable. Vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. One important thing that helps us maintain a feeling of connection during these times is to have a common purpose. And for First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, that common purpose is our mission. We hold it in our heart throughout the week and we say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. To explore more deeply what we mean by that term, beloved community, especially for those of us who may carry some form of privilege, such as white privilege and or other forms of privilege, we've been taking a moment for beloved community each week to dive deeper into some of the issues involved. I'm going to be doing a sermon later in this service entitled Sacred Vulnerability, 
But as I say in the sermon, I want to say now, what we mean by vulnerability in that context is to approach each other with an openness, to be able to risk sharing feelings, to get closer to other people, to live wholeheartedly. We do not mean any form of inflicted vulnerability by racism or other forms of oppression. And we do not mean the terror that the parents in the video we're about to see must feel over the vulnerability of their children because of racism. Dear child. Dear child. Dear child. The reason we have to have this talk is because you are a black child in America. I need you to know that, man, there's so many things going on in the world. I won't lie to you, you're going to see some things that are going to break you down. It's going to hurt. I know how hard it is for you to see yourself in the place of Tamir Rice. So I need you to always be prepared and always be on your guard. And it takes away from you being a little kid, I know. But I'm trying to protect you right now. If you are approached by police, just stay calm. Don't fight back. Don't give any rebuttals. You have to understand if you want to stay alive, you have to do what they say. Because it could be the difference between me seeing you again and not seeing you again. Sad to say, sometimes it may not even work. I'm just going to be honest. It may not work at all. Um, sorry. I know it's tough. And I know it sounds really scary. But it's not your fault. We live in a society that is geared that we do not succeed. It is put together, it is constructed in such a way that we fail. And you have to be greater than all of that. Always stand with your head up and your shoulders back and be proud and you are a warrior. Always know that you are intelligent, beautiful, bright, and you have a future. You have inherent worth in this society. And above all else, you're my son. Regardless of what happens, because I don't know what's going to happen today, tomorrow, whatever, just don't change. Don't change and be proud of who you are. I love you with all that I am. I will teach you how to walk in this life. You don't have anything to be afraid of. We'll get through this, and don't you ever, ever, ever blame yourself for what others do. I love you. I believe in you, and I believe that others, just like you, who hold on to their light, together, you all will change the world. This recording for you of the stories, I get a little nervous and I worry that I might say something wrong or pronounce one of the words wrong. And then I have to remind myself that I'm human and part of being human is making mistakes and that it's okay not to be perfect. I am human 
A Book of Empathy by Susan Verdi, art by Peter H. Reynolds. I was born a miracle, one of billions, but unique. I am human. I am always learning. I'm finding my way and choosing my path on this incredible journey. I have big dreams. I see possibility. I have endless curiosity. I make discoveries. I have a feeling of wonder. I am amazed by nature. I have a playful side. I find joy in friendships. I am human. But being human means I am not perfect. I make mistakes. I can hurt others with my words, my actions, and even my silence. I can be hurt, too. I can be fearful of things I don't yet understand and timid to try something new. I have a heavy heart when I feel sadness. I am human. But then I remind myself that because I am human, I can make choices. I can move forward. A poor choice can become a better choice with thoughtfulness. A bad day can become a great day with kindness. I can act with compassion and lend a helping hand. I can treat others with equality and be fair. I can choose not to fight, but instead to listen and find common ground. I can say, I'm sorry, and ask for forgiveness. I am human, one of billions, but unique. I am not alone. I am connected to my friends, to my family, to the world. We are all humans together. And I will keep trying to be the best version of me. I am full of hope. I am human. At the end of his life, the great picture book author and illustrator Maurice Sendak said on the NPR show Fresh Air, I cry a lot because I miss people. I cry a lot because they die and I can't stop them. They leave me and I love them more. He said, I'm finding out as I'm aging that I'm in love with the world. It has taken me all my life up to now to fall in love with the world, but I've started to feel it in the last couple of years. To fall in love with the world is not to ignore or overlook suffering, both human and otherwise. For me, anyway, to fall in love with the world is to look up at the night sky and feel your mind swim before the beauty and the distance of the stars. It is to hold your children while they cry, to watch as the sycamore trees leaf out in June. When my breastbone starts to hurt and my throat tightens and tears well in my eyes, I want to turn away from feeling. I want to deflect with irony or anything else that will keep me from feeling directly. We all know how loving ends, but I want to fall in love with the world anyway, to let it crack me open. 
I want to feel what there is to feel while I am here. Sendak ended that interview with the last words he ever said in public. Live your life. Live your life. Live your life. And this is my attempt to do so. Now is the time in our service when we center ourselves together. We breathe together. Breathing in, breathing out, in and out. And breathing together, we sense the heartstring connections that help us turn virtual space into beloved religious community. Breathing in, breathing out, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place where that spark of the divine resides. And breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together. some music. During that time, I invite you to continue your meditative breathing and, if you wish, to light a candle, a candle representing sorrow, joy, hope, remembrance.
Dr. Brene Brown, whose words we heard in our call to worship earlier, has a lot more to say that I really love. She says, vulnerability is the core of all emotions and feelings. To feel is to be vulnerable. To believe vulnerability is weakness is to believe that feeling is weakness. To foreclose on our emotional life out of a fear that the cost will be too high is to walk away from the very thing that gives purpose and meaning to living. She defines vulnerability as exposure, uncertainty, and emotional risk. Here's one of my favorite findings from her social science research on vulnerability. She talks about people she studied that she calls the wholehearted, by which she means people who have embraced and can express their own vulnerability, and thereby are living more authentic, loving, and connected lives. Dr. Brown says that embracing vulnerability doesn't mean never complaining about the bad things that happen in life, the things that hurt. In fact, she says, the wholehearted can complain as much as anyone else. They just do it in a specific and more life-fulfilling way. She says they piss and moan with vigor. Darn it, I thought when I heard her say that. Now that would make a great sermon title. Pissing and Moaning with Perspective, a Spiritual Practice for the Ages. Now, I want to be clear that she is not talking about suffering vulnerability at the hands of racism and other forms of oppression, health issues, abusive relationships, and the like. And certainly, we have all felt some very scary vulnerability due to the pandemic. What she is saying is that while embracing our vulnerability is not weakness, neither does it mean we will never have problems, make mistakes, or suffer. It is recognizing that we will go through these things and loving ourselves and other people not in spite of them, but because of them. To be alive is to be vulnerable. And yet, our cultural norms can often encourage us to project a false sense of invincibility. The prior presidential administration downplaying a pandemic, for instance. But cultivating this false sense of invincibility can drain our courage for loving and accepting being loved, rob us of the belonging and connections that are at the center of what it means to be fully human. Now, I've struggled with this at times in my life. Right after I started with the church as a new minister, I helped teach one of our Sunday morning religious education classes for kindergarten and first grade children. After the lesson, it was too cold to let them go outside and play, so we had to come up with some activities that they could do inside. Well, a few of them got bored with these activities and decided they would turn me into an indoor jungle gym instead. Soon, I found myself under siege by a group of five and six years old. I was outnumbered, outmaneuvered, and outlandishly on the verge of experiencing pure joy. If only I would let myself give in to it. But I found myself resisting instead. Dr. Brown calls this resistance foreboding joy, when we won't let ourselves fully experience joyful moments because we start to project all that can go wrong. We start imagining all the sorrow that might come. It's like we try to ward off the sorrow in our lives by stifling the joy. 
<laughs> that doesn't work. So here are all the foreboding and shaming thoughts I was having as I resisted joy. Oh my God, I have to keep them on the carpeted, carpeted area or one of them will get hurt and I will never get to work within Unitarian Universalism ever again. And what will their parents think if they come to pick them up and find that they've tackled their Sunday school teacher and taken over the classroom? And, good golly man, you have reverend in front of your name now. You can't be seen acting the fool with a bunch of first graders. Sometimes my shaming thoughts have a British accent. Luckily for me, the more I resisted, the more they upped the ante. Five and six-year-olds can have a lot of energy and determination. So I discovered that if I gave in and joined in the fun, they would actually more easily accept some parameters like staying on the carpeted area. And then I did experience pure joy. Now, in addition to the foreboding joy I have been discussing, Dr. Brown outlines a number of other ways that we avoid vulnerability and that ultimately rob us of living fully. Here are a few of the major ones. See if you recognize any of them. Perpetual disappointment. You may know folks who do this. These are the Eeyores of our world. Oh, well, it's never really as great as it seems. In fact, it's usually worse. Numbing. These are the ways that we avoid feeling at all, or at least dull our emotions to the point of becoming unrecognizable. Numbing includes the things we normally think of as, as addictions, such as alcohol and drugs, but also includes things like excessive television, eating, video games, smartphone use, working too much, having, uh, buying too much, etc. Recent research has found that all of this has increased exponentially during the pandemic, perhaps understandably. Perfectionism. She calls this the 20-ton shield when it comes to avoiding vulnerability. Perfectionism is a trap, though, because we can't be perfect all the time and at everything. Thus, perfectionism can actually stifle our internal drive to strive for excellence because even excellent won't be perfect, so why take any real risks at all? For me, it used to be a way of sort of super numbing. I was the oldest child in my family when we were growing up. You may have heard about the oldest sibling syndrome where under stress we can become over-functioning. We start trying to take care of everything and everyone, whether they want us to or not, a form of perfectionism. And my mom was single, so I got a very strong dose of this. And some of you may have heard me mention before that my maternal grandparents were like a second set of parents to me. My grandfather became my father figure, and I pretty much idolized them both. They were my role models. So when I got the call one day many years ago now that my grandfather was in the hospital and it didn't look good, I went into sort of an over-functioner's perfect storm. I didn't stop to cry or grieve or feel anything. I started making plans to make the drive over to take 
care of my family. I was going to handle this situation perfectly. And when we got to the hospital and he was no longer conscious so that I didn't even get to say goodbye, I didn't cry or grieve. I took care of everyone else. And when I got the call the next morning that he had died, I didn't cry. I got up, got dressed, and started planning and taking care of things. And even, even when I gave the eulogy at his funeral, I still didn't cry. Nor at the reception afterwards, nor on the drive back home, nor after we got back home. I was too busy functioning. And then, I think it was maybe a couple of days later, I couldn't find my glasses, and so I went out to our car thinking maybe they had fallen under a seat or something and started searching for them. I didn't find them, but I did find a map my grandfather had given me. He was a traveler and big on maps, and he had written his name on it. My grandfather had this habit of writing his name on all of his belongings. And suddenly, sitting there alone in the car, clutching his map, with no one left to take care of anymore but myself, I ran out of ways to avoid it. I started crying, and for a while it felt as if I might never stop. A friend of mine who's a playwright once had one of his characters, after having just lost her family in a car wreck, say, I don't have to cry now. I can cry tomorrow or next week or next month or next year because it's never going to stop. It's never going to stop hurting. I guess that was kind of what I had been doing, trying to put off feeling the hurt with all that overfunctioning, <laughs> It doesn't work eventually, but my friend's character was right about this. It never does really completely stop hurting. We just learn to carry it with us. And I think maybe that's as it should be, because for me, it is also carrying them with us. My grandparents are the people who taught me to have a love of nature. To this day, even though they have both been gone many years now, I will be on a nature hike and see something so beautiful that it fills me with joy, and I will think I have to call them and tell them about it. Their old phone number, 409-962-2010, pops into my head. But of course it is someone else's number now. The thing is, somehow because this happens, the joy of the experience is also deeper, greater, more complex. It helps keep their memory alive in my heart. It is a way in which I can at least somewhat re-experience their love. I call it a joy so full that it is an aching joy rather than that foreboding joy we talked about earlier. writer and poet Khalil Gibran said it like this, the deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain.
And that's why numbing robs us of living fully. That's the reason to seek lives of vulnerability and authenticity. If we refuse to allow sorrow to carve into our being, we will also never experience the fullness of that aching joy. I think as the church and our world begin to deal with whatever the next phase of the pandemic may bring in the coming months, we will need to be willing to be vulnerable with one another. We will need honesty, a willingness to share our feelings. And I think we create in this church a space where we can bring our vulnerabilities and our whole selves. And that then can help us become more wholehearted in our larger worlds also. It starts by being willing to ask for the space to be vulnerable and by being willing to risk it. To reach out and say, I have been trying to take care of my family, but I am emotionally exhausted myself. Or, I've been afraid about going back to work in person at my office because what if the vaccines start to fail? I don't have anywhere else where it feels safe to share that fear. We work to create in this religious community a space where we can do that, a church where we can practice living authentically, a place we, where we are allowed to be vulnerable and imperfect, to make mistakes and be forgiven for them rather than shamed for them, a place where we are courageous enough for empathy to thrive. A place where we love and accept love and radiate that love out into our larger world. A community where life's hallowed sorrows and aching joys can be sung into the rafters and held by beloved community. A community that I love with my whole heart. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Now as we near the close of our service and return to daily life, may your days to come be filled with peace. May your spirit overflow with boundless love. Grounded in that love, may your courage rise up and embrace uncertainty and vulnerability. May you be blessed, and may you bless the lives of others. I send you much love. Amen. Blessed be. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.